This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Jason on from Questco. We're going to be talking about cultural implications of requiring employee agreements. So this is going to be really, really fun. I can't wait to get into it. Jason, would you do us a favor and introduce both yourself and Questco? Well, well, thanks, William. Uh, happy to be here today with you. Uh, as as you mentioned, I am CEO of Questco, which is a, a player in the outsourced HR space nationally. Uh, we are a professional employer organization uh, that uh, has as our clients uh, around a thousand of them that serve well over 20,000 worksite employees. And the decision to employ Questco as, as, a, as a client is to decide to offload a lot of the HR burden that can really... Um, uh, uh, send a business sideways, I guess, and right. instead offload that to us. Uh, the the client employer maintains the uh, the privileges of everyday management, and we help them through all the tax stuff, all the administrative details, and provide some wonderful large company benefits as well in terms of medical and uh, access to our large group programs. So one of the things I love about the PEO model in general is that it uses buyer power. You know, the more employees that you have, the the better the deals, the better, you know, insurance that you can get. If you if you only have a hundred employees and you go to well let's say Aetna or United Health, it's harder <laughs> to get a Cadillac. I mean it's not harder. It's just more expensive to get a Cadillac plan. But if you if you're working with a great PEO, um, then you you can get access to those things. So I love that. And I love the again keeping companies uh, you know it, Compliant, you know, I guess is a great way of thinking of it is just making sure that, you know, some of it is they don't know the rules, the HR uh, rules in their state or even federally, and y'all know them backwards and forwards. So uh, absolutely love the model. Um, what have you seen in employee agreements recently? Like over the last two years, what have, what have you seen kind of from, from the folks, your customers and the folks that you deal with? I would say it's a pretty evergreen area where clients will ask about the relative wisdom of offering them. And, and of mm -hmm. course, that depends by state. And we're not here to talk to, today about right. the legal right. perspective of that, which is a very different conversation. 100%. But more, it, is it a, it's a good idea regardless of what the law requires. We would always, uh, you know, we, we ask that our clients do what the law requires, of course. But then there's another dimension of this, which is what's the wise decision to do in your environment? And that's a question that's pretty evergreen in our, in our uh, case. I love that, and it's and company by company, right? So you, you follow what's 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 in what's in the law, the spirit of the law, and what's in the law. But then you've got to do what's best for the employees, and what's what's best for you know uh, the company as well. And some of it's just guide rails, like making sure that people understand. <laughs> but those are policies. Some of those policies can be handled within the employee uh, handbook, if you will. So. Um, when you when we talk, start talking about cultural impl implications, what are you seeing in terms of um, candidates or even new employees and what their expectation is in terms of signing or thinking about an employee agreement? 
Well, so if you step back and look at what's trying to be accomplished here, I, I, it, rare would be the candidate or the employer that just loves an environment where somebody says, "I have, I want to be, work for a place where I have no idea what's expected of me." Right? right. That, that that is a that is a, a recipe for a lot of bad things to happen. So, at its core, you know, talking about this issue is tell me what's expected, and, and then what's the best way to communicate that and enforce that and live into that. And many, many times. I would say most times um, that's best accomplished through a robust handbook. And that, of course, that entire concept can be a butt of many jokes, William, right? right. The, the handbook, right. in contrast, what we would say is, well, if, if this is not a relevant item for you, well, it, it sure should be. And you might be thinking about it wrong because the handbook really is the playbook, the rules of the 100%. road to help uh, guide these expectations. And that should be sufficient. And again, I need to leave aside specialty areas like education or specialized situations like uh, employees subject to a collective bargaining, bargaining agreement. But right. we're just talking writ large around the population. Generally speaking, it may not be in the best interest of that employer to offer a bespoke employment agreement um, unless there, a couple of things are at play that I'm sure we'll get to. But as a whole, what's important is to, ha is to make sure you have thought through as, as an employer, how do I communicate to our employees what's expected for them to, must do, should do, and then must not do? And where is it articulated? And the handbook should be the first resort for that. But there are some situations where an employment agreement may well be the, the wise choice. So let's, let's uh, and again, we're not doing with federal and state law, we're not doing with legal things, but just like the things, because you've interacted with thousands of, of, of clients over the years, where do you make the line or where do you make give the advice of this should, this should, you know, this should end up in the uh, handbook or this should end up in the agreement? How do you, how do you guide generally, how do you guide folks through that process? So you start with the principles, right? And uh, what, what I would recommend is that let's live into values of being transparent, being consistent, and perhaps most importantly in this environment, being fair, the, the perception of fairness across this. And then most times that is accomplished with more of a handbook approach. In other words, take it down a notch in formality because an employment agreement can be restrictive on both sides. And right. particularly in a small business that has a more dynamic environment, things, in other words, things are changing rather quickly. Uh, both sides, either side might feel really hemmed in by something uh, that might be obsolete almost as soon as it's signed, right? In terms of some of the, depending on exactly what's in it and what's specified, um, you, don't, you wouldn't want an employment agreement first and foremost to be a barrier to success of company or teammate. So that, that's one of the, the primary hurdles to accomplish. Um, is this something that is unique to the individual role, either because you're hiring a very senior manager and some different rules need to apply, uh, or because you have a specialized kind of role that might, for example, be much more deep into company secret sauce type items to where you might, might feel the need for a higher level of protection? In other words, do you have a situation that, that requires something exceptional? And, and that's how I, I would encourage people to think about an employment agreement in the current climate is, is there an ex something exceptional? Because otherwise you could probably accomplish this in a different way that causes you less heartburn down the road. Yeah, and, and on both sides, right? So yes. it creates less anxiety for the newly minted employee because they're going to be looking at both those things. There's a, you know, there's a employee handbook that's going to explain all of the expectations and, you know, policies and rules and all kinds of good stuff. And the employee agreement, at least historically, 
it's 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 a it's a bit more rigid, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, with legalese uh, that most people don't you know can't read and don't understand. But you know, as it relates, at least historically, with employment agreements, three things that usually were always kind of covered was non compete, non disclosure, non solicitation, and uh, sometimes those are treated in in the uh, employee handbook. Um, and, and talked about kind of openly about, you know, what, you know, the philosophy and kind of how people feel, et cetera. But some of it's kind of, as you said, it's kind of called out because they want special protection on both sides for, for both parties to make sure where they know everyone knows where the lines are. Yeah, that's right. And I, th I think something that is more appropriate for an employment agreement, in addition to sort of the, the specialness of certain roles, right? Um, and and non-compete, non-solicitation is a great example, William, because you have uh, probably very different expectations for, say, a, a, a line employee in a retail environment. Um, as employers, like you know, some of the big uh, fast food chains have learned in terms of overreach on some of these items, right. versus corporate staff that might be actually holding company secrets and might be uh, much. You would want those things to be far less portable than say a line employee right. so that, that uniqueness factors in and that's suggestive of a of the employment agreement that's that you know what's what's what i love about that and the way you've way you've modeled that is it's it it is all of this language that goes into like the the handbook there's going to be a handbook kind of for everybody got it but what goes into the agreement it's going to be kind of personalized should be personalized to the individual Certain yeah. sections just you don't need them. And again, I think you, you use the word overreach. I think that's a great way of thinking about it. It's like, you know, they don't need to read that. You don't need it. You don't need it in there. You, neither there's the anxiety needs to, to be it just doesn't need to be there on either side. Uh, but again, if you're working in the patent <laughs> part of, of, a, of a technology business, yeah, fair enough. You might want to have some special protection there. I, I mean, I think I think I think employees that would go into that job would expect that. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that that's a, just a dominant principle. Is if you're doing these all the time and they really don't change employee to employee, then right. you got to ask yourself why you're doing it. Right. Um, I think that's I share. I think I could share another category that um, I guess I'll, I'll share a story. This is also one that I share in a book I just released. So in addition to my CEO responsibilities at Questco, I'm also, as of a couple of months ago, a published author through Forbes Books um, with a work called Beyond the Superhero, Executive Leadership for the Rest of Us. And um, the central theme of that work touches on some of the things we're doing here, which is when you're new to senior leadership, a lot of things might come at you that are different than what's expected. And right. when I was new to my CEO role, something that, that happened to me here at Questco is a number of legacy employees would come up to me and and talk about all the things that they were promised, uh, whether it's a raise, a new role, a you know some, some sort something was promised to them, right. and it's not in writing anywhere, let alone budgeted, and so. This is a real opportune thing to put into right, document it somehow, right? And an employment agreement is very ripe for doing this. Again, it's bespoke to the individual, customized to the individual. But if you're promising something in the future and you're not documenting in something that's agreed on on both sides, in other words, an employment agreement, you set you set the stage for someone like me to come in, see nothing, and then there's going to be some upset and some uh, friction from that situation. So this is just again, when you're looking into the future, whether it's a post-employment obligation or something within the employment environment, 
and it's unique to an individual, that's a great use of an employment agreement to capture some of those items. Well, it's what, what you've empowered there is uh, both from the management and the uh, candidate, uh, excuse me, the employee perspective is, hey, let's, uh, let's, let's write a quick addendum. You know, like, let's just, uh, let's amend, you know, the employment agreement. Let's just make sure it's, you know, exhibit A, exhibit B or whatever. And now it's in there. And, and then both the legal team, anybody that handles that, that side of the business, but also, you know, good, good fences make for good neighbors. You know, it's, and, and again, I love the way that if you, if you do that and it's, you know, you've empowered the employee to say, okay, you've just promised me this. I have that expectation. Why don't we amend my employment agreement and let's just make sure that it's in there. So in case anything happens to either of us. Yep. Comes back to transparency, consistency, and fairness. And um, mm. you're doing that when you're accomplishing that, then these agreements become a, a productive tool for the organization as right. opposed to perhaps just yet one more administrative burden. Yeah. Or, or just or seen as punitive, purely as, as, a, as a punitive document. What have you seen with you know, remote employees with, with folk, again, you know, the things that we're doing with over the last 18 months plus, um, how has, how has that impacted employee agreements? Well, I would say it affects the, the, the fundamental employment construct in some unique ways, right? William, you know, we, we didn't have to tell employees to wear, you know, a, a full complement of clothing to, to the workplace before Zoom became a thing, right? Things like that, that um, suddenly things that we never contemplated became routine. And oftentimes our documentation around these things didn't keep up. We, we didn't have to think about things like, well, okay, you know, what if there are young children present in the virtual work environment when you didn't have a when you didn't have a virtual work environment before you were likely silent to this issue so the overall point here would be as your circumstances change your, your documentation needs to uh, evolve as well. And so what we would see is, well, companies are confronted with new situations. What an opportune time to take a look at what's out there. And do we need to communicate different things to be consistent and to be transparent and fair to our workforce? And that's, again, that is less about employment agreements and, and more about setting clear expectations. And then the employment agreement might be one way and a rare way to accomplish that. A handbook updating is probably a little more appropriate for things like what we're, we're discussing. Right. Right. So when we think about cultural implications, one of the things that I wanted to get your take on is, you know, what is the tethering kind of to value, corporate values, company values and leadership and how they view these things? So if I understand your correction, um, your question correctly, it would be, um, how does an employment agreement relate to company values or did I misunderstand right. you? No, no, that's it's spot on. Well, bottom line is if you're, if, if, an employment agreement is an execution of ultimately a strategy and thus a vision. If it's in conflict with some of these principles, then again, it needs a closer look. You're doing it wrong, right? Some some other uh, driver is is taking charge and probably shouldn't. Uh, in other words, make sure that whatever you're implementing is consistent with the culture you're trying to create. So, for example, if you're uh, if you pride yourself on a loose collegial culture and you're subjecting every employee to an employment agreement that's 75 pages long, well, it's, it might be undermining what you're trying to accomplish there. But I want to come back to your point about good fences and good neighbors, because 
even in the most casual and and you know family like of of corporate cultures it's still important to understand what the ground rules are and what's appropriate and what's acceptable and what's not because again you can't be there to guide all the th every situation every time and values should underpin that right that um you know if it's a supportive culture make sure the documentation will support what you're trying to do in that regard as opposed to work against you so you've at one point, you've dealt with folks that are reluctant, either either you know lawyers, <laughs> or business owners, or you know the C-suite that might not see this, that might not understand the distinction between what what goes into the handbook, why that's important, versus what goes into the uh, employee agreement and why that's important. So you've, I really want to kind of get at and pick around the how do you deal with reluctant. Uh, folks, how do you deal? With, how do you kind of coach them up and kind of bring them to a place where they understand? You know, again, like the great example that you just said, you, you have a you have a you have a loose collegial, uh, you know, culture. Very important. You've been, you know, you've been you've been creating and fostering this culture for 10, 15 years. Seventy-five page employee handbook conflict. Like, how do you? And those are tough conversations, clearly. But how do you? How do you? How do you how do you have those conversations with some of your clients or you know, people that you know that are going through this? I, I think a, a general rule, first of all, is to keep things short and in plain English and easy to understand, and that will by itself uh, mm -hmm. reduce a lot of reluctance because people just uh, flat out understand better what the scope of it, it is that what you're asking. Whereas if it's complicated or lengthy or there, there's a lot of clauses and provisions, they might be more likely to want to seek you know outside counsel. Not that that's a terrible thing, but it, yeah. it is something that's uh, it doesn't strike me as a real healthy workplace situation uh, to have that to be a routine part of your environment, right? So keeping it simple. And then addressing concerns just authentically and transparently. You know, once again, he, explain the motivation. Here's why this is in here. Here's why it's important. Here's why, why you should care about it. If it's, um, you know, if it's about understanding and, and meet, a meeting of the minds, there are other issues that are a little more thorny. For example, uh, around perhaps the length or scope or of, of say a non-compete or non-solicitation mm -hmm. agreement. That's a that's an issue that needs uh, perhaps some legal counsel to advise on what the boundaries are legally, as well as think about what you're trying to accomplish. Um, right. Again, there is sort of a tendency to make these agreements one-sided when they come back from internal counsel or a firm you're retaining. Right. I believe it's important to meet a little more in the middle a lot of the time, hear the objections, and compromise where it doesn't really cost you anything from a business consequence point of view. Um, the nice-to-haves from a legal perspective are often not nice-to-have from a cultural perspective. I love that. And I love the way that you broke that into plain English and explaining things to folks because oftentimes it's a, as, as you well know, it's a, it's a PDF or, or a DocuSign that's sent over and, uh, and, you know, it's in legal language, um, which not all of us speak legal. And so, uh, so, you know, I, there's an intimidation factor for a lot of folks that, that for the, especially for the first time they've signed an employment agreement that they don't even know what they're signing. They, they don't even know, you know, what these things might even mean, but it's scary. It's intimidating. And I love the way that you kind of broke that down. So, you know what, just explain it, like go through the things like, here's what we're trying to achieve with this section. So yeah, here are the words, here's the legalese important. However, 
here's what we're actually trying to convey in this part of the employee agreement. And, and that, that also is true in the handbook too. I mean, the same philosophy can apply. It's like, here's why we have, you know, this harassment policy. So here's what it is. Here's the policy, signature required. However, here's what we're really trying to do with this policy. Yeah, you're hitting just spot on, right, William? Because you are hitting on uh, the opportunity we have to make that kind of conversation supportive of the culture we're trying to build, as opposed to there's another bureaucratic angle of this as well. You know, I, I as the company, this is something that HR makes me sign or legal makes me sign. And so there's no ownership on either side. It just becomes an empty uh, (laughs) paper pushing exercise. That's a huge missed opportunity to really underscore the values that can make us successful. You know, what's great is in the way that you're thinking about it is during the onboarding process is you celebrate it. You know, you think find a way to actually turn something that has historically been a negative into a positive. And, and just, uh, and again, if you're explaining it and you, you're really fundamentally giving people insight into why this section is important and why we wrote it the way we wrote it and what it means. If you have any questions, again, you can talk to a personal lawyer. You can do whatever you need to do. You can look things up on the internet, but here's what we were trying to achieve. Like, like that could actually be a really wonderful part of the onboarding experience. Yeah, I love the way you think because, yeah, why, why shouldn't this be a celebration? You know, somebody uh, accepting a job is inherently an optimistic proposition, right? right. You know, we're, we're, we're banking on a future together. That's hopeful. That's happy. So let's not suck the energy out of the room with a conversation that detaches from that humanity, but rather use it to support the humanity. And if the, di- if, if the paper matches the intent, you're going to be a, a home run uh, hitter when it comes to getting people to onboard uh, in, a, in a culturally appropriate way. So last question before we roll out, and this is just, I want your advice on, you know, folks that are going down this road, maybe they're starting companies, uh, you know, and that's, you know, the world I live in was, is a lot of startups. What, what are the, what should they start with? Like, as, and again, you know, there's nothing there. There's not an established company. There's not established culture. What, what do you, what do you believe is kind of the the way that they should approach employment agreements and the employee handbook? I would start with the, the, nowhere near putting pen to paper and instead think about the culture you want to create Mm. and then a firm understanding of what's legally advisable as well. Because again, we we sort of set that aside, but there are some important things that, uh, in other words, the attorney's perspective is valuable here. It's just not... It, it's just, just not all consuming. And so you take that feedback. And then I think the, the final thing I would say, though it might sound a little bit self-serving, is this is a great area to seek help in, unless you're very deep uh, in, in HR practice. And perhaps even if you are, uh, you have a lot of things on your plate to think about when you're building an enterprise when it's new. And what a wonderful time to ask for help, ask for help and expertise to guide you through the cultural and legal ramifications of those early decisions you're going to make that can set you out uh, to, to get farther faster in your professional success. I love it. Brother, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful topic. And I love the way that we've kind of parsed it and given people advice. So Jason, thank you so much for coming on the Recruiting Daily Podcast. I've absolutely enjoyed this. Likewise, William. Thank you so much. All righty. And to everyone, thank you for listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.